It's 1209, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, today is my Friday. I have a couple days off as I'm, I'm in the process of getting one house ready to put on the market and getting another house ready to move into and then figuring out where I'm staying between that and the third house. I've just got all sorts of stuff going on. So this is my Friday, which means we have a lot of stuff to cover. We start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. Um, about a half hour ago, I did an interview with um, a, a national reporter who was asking me about the effect of the Steve Bannon endorsement in the the Wisconsin primary. Right now, you've got Kevin Nicholson, who is running against State Senator Leah Vukmir, and, and we were talking about the, the influence of some of these anti-establishment flamethrowers and how how that plays nationally, and in particular, how it, it plays in Wisconsin. And I, I said, well, look, I, you, you got to understand that in Wisconsin, we are, you know, th- this is the, the modern conservative movement. I mean, I, I, we have been ground zero, whether it's Act 10 or all the different I- initiatives. And I firmly believe that you don't need some outside flamethrower who's decided that they're going to, I don't know, demand an absolute litmus test. You have to drink the Donald Trump Kool-Aid and be willing to follow him over a cliff or we're not going to support you. I said, I really, I don't know that that's going to necessarily play very well in Wisconsin. So we were talking about that. But there is no question, and this is big story number one, that there is a civil war which is breaking out among the republic in within the republican party in washington it is a damn shame that this is happening because this is the first time in a long time that you have a republican president republicans controlling the u.s senate and republicans controlling the house of representatives and what you have is you have the republicans that have apparently turned their guns on each other and it is again it's one of these circular firing squads which is very very disappointing but perhaps this is inevitable in the age of president trump what you had yesterday was just a remarkable thing arizona senator jeff flake who has not been a trump supporter all along announced that he was not going to run for re-election um next year um his he was being challenged um in arizona by a woman her, her name is is kelly ward um, she is supported by the Steve Bannon wing of the, the anti-establishment thing. Kelly Ward is a kook. I mean, she's just, she, she's a kook. She's the one that's, you know, she's been appearing, she's appeared on some of these crazy conspiracy talk shows and, you know, hosting town halls about whether or not, you know, the, the contrails from airplanes were actually an effort that the government trying to, um, I don't know, induce mind control drugs. She's a kook. She, she's a kook. She's the one who um, she ran against John McCain and suggested that, you know, he should he would die in office after being diagnosed with, um, you know, cancer. Um, she suggested um, on a syndicated radio show that she thought that McCain was trying to kill her. She's a kook. She's a kook, but she is endorsed by the Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, anti-establishment wing of the Republican Party. And just like in Arizona six, seven, eight years ago, um, you, you have Harry Reid, who was elected because he ran against the only Republican who couldn't beat him, a woman named Sharon Angle. You're starting to see things like this play out all over the country. So in any event, Senator Jeff Flake takes to the floor of the U.S. Senate and says, I'm, I'm done. 
He said, you know, it's not that I, I dislike the Senate, but you know what? He said, politics for me, it's just become, you know, un, un, unlivable. Um, gave a lengthy speech. I mean, and, and then he didn't mention the president by name, but here's what he says. He says, we must stop pretending that the conduct of some in our executive branch are normal. They are not normal. Reckless, outrageous, undignified behavior has become excused and countenanced as telling it like it is when it is actually just reckless, outrageous, and undignified. And when such behavior emanates from the top of our government, it is something else. It is dangerous to a democracy. It is often said that children are watching. Well, they are. And what are we going to do about it? When the next generation asks us, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you speak up? What are we going to say? Now, of course, this comes on the heels of remarks that uh, Senator John McCain has made in a speech that uh, retiring Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee have made, where they've been very, very critical of the president. For his part, the president and his allies fire back. Oh, Jeff Flake, here, here's a guy. He's not on board with us. He's a guy who wasn't going to be able to get reelected anyways. You know, we've got this other candidate that's out there that even though she's a kook, you know, we're, we're supporting her because she's willing to, again, walk off the cliff and drink the Donald Trump Kool-Aid. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have been someone all along who has wanted the president to succeed. I, I, I have. And I've been someone who has tried to say, and I've gotten criticized from both sides on this, that I think you have to focus on, you have to put away the style and try to focus on on the substance. What what are the policies that are coming as opposed to the, the style, as opposed to the tweets in the middle of the night, as opposed to the, the, the attacks, the assaults on anybody who is anything other than a, a pure 100% Trumpian. Um, but th- let's face it, there is a civil war going on now, and you have some of the more, what I will describe, mainstream Republicans who are being run out of office by the attacks. They are just weary of what is going on, and you have more and more of the slash anti-establishment, in some case, kooky candidates who are starting to emerge. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here's what it comes down to. Does President Trump need to change his ways? Does he need to stop fueling the attacks on members of his own party? Does he need to figure out a way to try to work with people? Or is his style his style? His style got him elected. I, I confess that. I mean, or he got elected perhaps in spite of his style because people were so disgusted with Hillary Clinton. But just because you have this style that maybe people, you know, found interesting and it got you elected doesn't mean you, you govern. Um, on the other hand, he did win. Is this an idea where the Republicans like the Bob Corkers and the Jeff Flakes and the John McCain's really and the Mitch McConnell's have no place in the modern day Republican Party? And my answer to that is I I hope not. I I mean, I, I hope not. If the idea is that you have to go along with every silly idea that comes out. And if you decide, hey, I don't think this is a thing that makes sense, or I, I'm disgusted by this comment or that comment, 
that you're being told that you have no place in the modern Republican Party. 414-799-1620. All right. Can the civil war be avoided? Should it be avoided? And does President Trump need to change his ways? That's big story number one. And we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1217. It's 1219. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What you heard from me was this audible sigh. Republicans finally have the keys to government and that there's now this circular firing squad. And I, I tell you, I think it is going to be very disappointing if you wake up one morning and there's not room in the Republican Party for somebody like Senator Bob Corker or somebody like Mitch McConnell or somebody like Jeff Flake. Let's talk to Dave and Appleton. Dave, good morning. Good afternoon. I'm sorry. Good afternoon, Jeff, and welcome back. Thank you, sir. Uh, unfortunately, I could not disagree with you more. I was kind of a Ted Cruz guy, mm-hmm. uh, and then when Trump you know, was nominated, I voted for him, of course. But the Republicans have had six years where they've been in charge. They should have had a stack of bills on January 22nd standing on Donald Trump's desk ready to be signed. Well, let me stop you, though. You say they've been in charge for six years, that they haven't. Barack Obama was the president. They, they had Congress for, you know, a, a number of, of years. So, I mean, they weren't going to be able to get anything. Yeah, they weren't going to be able to get anything done as long as Barack Obama was the president. I understand that the second Donald Trump was elected, any Republican mm-hmm. is elected. They should have had a stack of bills on his desk ready to go. This is why the general public, Republicans, GOP people are upset. Donald Trump is right. What have you been doing? You promised all this stuff and never came through with it. And you have to give it to the Democrats. They've got a boatload of flakes on their side. They do. They get the job done. They suck it up, hold hands, jump off the bridge together, and that's why I got us Obamacare and a bunch of other junk. Well, it, it is, but so your response would be that the Republicans need to be like the Democrats and they need to do... I, I don't know what whatever it is that the president and, and again, see, un, unlike Obama, the one thing I'm not sure that Donald Trump came into office with any sort of a agenda. This wasn't a top. Dri- we got to get rid of Obamacare, but he didn't have a plan to get rid of Obamacare. He turned it over to Congress. And, and that's like I mean, Congress is like herding cats. Um, it's right. not Donald Trump's job to come up with a plan to get really? rid of Obamacare. It's Congress. They write the laws. All he does. He's the executive branch. He signs them. He can suggest that, you know, that this is what I'd like to see done, which he's done over and over and over. And they just get in a, as you put it, piss and match over each other. Just suck it up. This is what the American people obviously want. Well, I guess, I I mean, thanks for the call, Dave. See, I I guess I'm not sure that that's what the, the American people want something to get done. Okay? But I guess I'm not sure that the, I, I think... If the Republican Party and the conservative movement wants to guarantee that it becomes a minority, a fringe party in this country for the next couple decades, the best way to do that is, first of all, to allow the quote-unquote anti-establishment wing, the scorched earth folks, to, to just run out 
any moderate Republican that there is under the guise of, hey, this person isn't, you know, isn't true enough. It doesn't pass enough litmus tests. If that's the case, I mean, OK, you've got this this guy in, in uh, Alabama, um, the, the twice ousted state Supreme Court justice who who's a flat out kook as well. I um, mean, he runs in the primary. He, he's supported by the anti-establishment wing. He beats the, the, the Donald Trump candidate who was. I, I don't even know that I'd call Luther Strange a mainstream Republican. But he was certainly conservative. And so now you've got, I don't think the GOP is going to lose this Alabama seat in December because it's almost unthinkable, but it's going to be a lot closer than it normally would have been. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Yeah. Um, I definitely not. Atlanta can't change its spots. But, you know, the problem is, is this country and the politicians should be ashamed of themselves. We voted them in. Congress voted him in, and not one person has helped him. It's all been negative, negative, negative. If you were in his situation, how would you feel? The other thing is, is we need to come together as a country and change this. I think a lot of these politicians are afraid that lay people like us are going to start running. I mean, you don't go to college to be a politician, but between what's happening between Russia and all this other stuff, we're tired. We are, I, we well, are no, so tired of seeing this stuff on the news. Well, no, and people, no, you're right, Jeff. People, I mean, see, this is this is my ongoing frustration with 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 things, and and I think in many respects the president is his own worst enemy because instead of concentrating on the things that we need to get done, okay, we, we need to figure out a way to reform health care because Obamacare is imploding. We need to, you know, figure out national security issues. We need to have tax reform. And that's what the dialogue should be. And yet on a daily basis, and I understand the media plays into this, but, you know, okay, you have the president who for the last six days has been picking a fight with the, the widow of a soldier who was killed, you know, overseas. And, and that's the dominant story day in, day out. And I understand part of that comes from the media and part of it comes from the president's opponents, but part of it comes from the fact that he can't let it go. Same thing is true with this ongoing debate with Bob Corker. And plus, here's just the reality of this. You have 52 Republicans in the U.S. Senate. You've got 52. All right, and if you decide as the president, and you know you're going to get almost no help on any major conservative initiative from the left. So, all right, you just, you got 52 votes to work with, which means you can lose two on any given vote um, as long as you have, you know, the vice president who's going to vote for you. Well, well, to go around and to just decide that you're going to use this scorched earth theory on whether it's John McCain, and I understand John McCain can be a bit prickly from time to time, or Jeff Flake, or, um, you know, Bob Corker. Then you've got a couple of the more moderate or liberal Republicans to begin with. Pretty soon, you know, you're not a leader. You're just kind of walking out there, and you're never going to get anything done. And I do fault the president for some of that. Um, I just... I think a civil war needs to be averted in the Republican Party, and I think it starts with the White House deciding that they're not going to punch down because nobody wins. And if the idea is we're going to go with all these anti-establishment Republicans, what's going to end up happening is you're going to have 60 Democrats in office 
um, pretty soon, and then you're going to have more stuff like Obamacare. And part of that could be on President Trump if he refuses to change his ways. It's 1226. Coming up, big story number two. It's local. It's the South Shore Water Frolics. Say it ain't so. Stick around. It's 1234, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Big story number two. It is a local one. Um, The South Shore Frolics has been an annual community event in one form or another. Oh, gosh, going back to like 1948, 1949, 1950. It has been around for a long, long time. Um, I, I don't go every year, but... I, I used to go every year, and now I, I, I go whenever I can. It is a wonderful event. For the last 20 years or so, it's been put on by the Bayview Lions Club. Now, there, there's been a number of things that have been going on with the South Shore Water Fox. First of all, the Bayview Lions Club stages it. It is their biggest fundraiser of, of the year. They do it as a service to the community, but they also do it because they want to make money. And, and then they take the money that they make at the South Shore Water Frolics and they turn around and they do all the good things that a service club like the, the Lions Club does. And they're very active in vision and things like that. But, but for the last, what do they say, three out of the last four years, four out of the last five, whatever, they, they have been losing money. Three of the last four years, they, they have not made money on staging the South Shore Water Frolics. And there's been problems with, you know, coming up with enough sponsors and all. And if you're doing this as your big fundraiser and you're not making money, well, you know, sooner or later, you've got to rethink it. Now, Chris Abley has not done the South Shore Water Frolics any favors because for the last couple years, um, you know, the they've been having, well, this is how they describe it. They said it has been very difficult and frustrating to deal with the fireworks mandates uh, initiated by the Milwaukee County Parks Director. And so that that's, uh, Abley's the county executive, but it's his parks director. They've been jerking the frolics around on the, the grand finale, and the fireworks has always been a centerpiece of this. So Chris Abley and the Milwaukee County Parks Director has contributed to the problem that they've had, actually, I think, directly. But the bottom line is they have been losing money. So they come out today and they say, look, we've made a decision for next summer. We're going to suspend these. We're going to suspend the the frolics and we're going to evaluate moving forward because this is really a question for the community now. The question is, are people going to step up? Are people going to contribute? Um, Are there going to be sponsors? Because if we don't you know, make money, we, we can't continue to do this because we need the dough that we make from this to do all our other sort of causes. Now, the South Shore Water Frolics, again, it's an institution around here. It goes back to the late 40s, early 1950s. At the same time, nothing lasts forever. Um, remember, if you are of a certain age, grew this is too, you know, you, you are too young for this, but you know, the circus parade was a big deal in in Milwaukee. Every year the circus train came in. It set up camp at the lakefront. You know, they, they staged circus acts during the week and then they had a huge parade on, on Sunday where lots and lots of people attended the parade. One of the standing jokes was that they, they always inflated the numbers of people who attended, but it was a big deal. People looked forward to that every year. Well, as time went on, fewer and fewer people started attending the circus parade and it just kind of 
Well, it kind of died out. It, it just sort of died out. There have been other sort of events, festivals. West Dallas Western Days would be an example of this. But there's been other festivals that have come and gone. And so, you know, times change, people's interests change. There's a ton of stuff going on in the summer. And the South Shore Frolics has always competed. The, the weekend they run the Frolics, I think they're up against Bastille Days and, you know, some of the other events in, in the area. There's always been this challenge that's there. And, you know, sooner or later, you know, people just decide, well, okay, we've been there, we've done that, it, it, it's time to move on. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is it time for the South Shore Frolics to simply fade away? If if they aren't able, and there's no bad guys here, by the way. I mean, I, this is this is not a criticism of the Bayview Lions Club, which has done a tremendous job over the last two decades of, of staging this. But But I guess here's what I want to talk about with you, and that is if the Frolics go away, Will they, in fact, be missed? Or is this just the inevitable changing of the times? It happens. We used to have a golf tournament here every year. We used to have the Greater Milwaukee Open or whatever they were calling it. Well, okay, the the, the interest in that just faded. Attendance faded. Sponsors dropped out. There's no longer a, an annual PGA stop in Milwaukee anymore. Do people miss that? If the frolics go away... Will they be missed, or is it just time to say, had a great run, but time to move on? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. But the South Shore Water Frolics, do people need to step up? Will it be a big deal if people don't step up and help underwrite the cost of this is 2017 going to end up being the last year for the frolics? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1240. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1243. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Wisconsin football is undefeated, and the odds are in their favor to stay that way through the regular season. What will it take to get them into the college football playoff conversation? Justin Garcia explores at 815 tonight on Sports Central. I hope I am wrong. Mark the tape, crew, who's producing the show today and always. I hope I am wrong. I am afraid that this hiatus in the South Shore frolics is not going to be a hiatus, but it ultimately it is going to be a cancellation. And I, I think it is unfortunate because I know a lot of people have gotten a lot of pleasure. And by the way, this is no way, shape, or form a criticism of the Bayview Lions Club, who have stepped up and have done an admirable job, but they need to make money off of it. I mean, they use the money they get from this event to help fund all sorts of things. And, and here, here's what I think the problem is. I think, first of all, people become complacent. People assume that because something is here, it's always here, and we don't have to support it, and we don't have to attend it. That's number one. Number two, the character of Bayview is changing. You have a lot of people who are moving in who don't appreciate the traditions of that area. You've got, I mean, you've got areas that are being yuppified. Sorry if you don't like the term, but that's what's happening. So you have a lot of new people that are moving in and going, well, we don't like all the, these people coming down here and, and looking at fireworks, and they're they're taking away our parking spaces. And, you know, we, we have to, we, we're having trouble getting through some of the, the people that are milling around on the streets to get into the coffee shops. So that, and that's, that's just part of the changing character of the neighborhood. But I think as the neighborhood changes, you have more and more people that are, you know, complaining about, 
Again, it, it's just not what they want. And third, let's not lose sight of this. Chris Abley and the Milwaukee County Parks Department, I think, have conspired in a way to, if not if not kill the South Shore Frolics, they have made it extremely more difficult, again, by capitulating to the Chris Abley crowd, the people who are, like, moving into that area who don't like the fireworks because they're they're going to be they're going to be loud and and oh my goodness there's going to be all these people that are coming down and and they're going to be walking in front of our houses and and oh my goodness you're going to have that those fireworks for a couple nights and then you're going to have the the big thing that they do on the, the last night on the Saturday night of the thing oh and this is going to be awful and Abley and the parks director have I guess they've decided to side with the yuppies with the newcomers in that area and you combine all this given the fact that you've also got an aging festival and you've got all the other competition and i i hate to say this and i hope i'm wrong but i i will be surprised if the south shore frolics make a return and that's a damn shame jim in greenfield jim you're on 620 wtmj good afternoon hey jeff jim kaluzny oh hi jim right the big kahuna hi pal Congratulations, by the way, on your marriage. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I have outkicked my coverage once again. I'm very fortunate. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100% on this, Jeff. Uh, as I was telling your screener, um, I grew up, as you well know, in Cudahy and on the south side, and this has always been an event for my family, friends, and everything. Unfortunately, since I got married and I live in Greenfield, we don't go down there. And the, the big reason is, I agree with you, the neighborhood has changed, but it's also not just changed because of the people that are moving there it's also because of the elements that have moved in there and it's just in an area that is so tight and i i told you screener i don't feel safe even taking my family and friends down there anymore that's another reason but you're right the baby lions i know people that are associated with them they do great work right it's just unfortunately there's a lot of competition and i think the landscape has changed for the bad elements and the so much congestion, you can only put so many people in there. Right. No, exactly. And it's and and then you have again a lot of the newcomers in the area. I don't know that they appreciate the traditions. They view it kind of as a nuisance. And uh, I, there's folks like you, Jim, who appreciate the tradition, but you move away, and so maybe you're not going every year or something like that. And yeah. ultimately, you, I mean, I hated to see the circus parade go, but m- maybe it had run its time. And I, 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 fe- I feel bad for the Bayview Lions, but they, they've got to figure out a ways to make money because they use the dough to do support all their causes. Well, and if they're losing yeah. money, they can't keep running the show. Also, the people that live in the area, we've heard news stories for years and years that they've had people that have relieve themselves, that have right. caused problem property damage and things like that. And like I say, I'm not looking for bad reasons. I would love to be like you and say that this should continue, but it's unfortunate that things like this can't continue. Right. No, I th- Jim, th- thanks for the call. You make a good point. That is Jim Kalusny, who was the, the big kahuna, the producer for years and years on the Jonathan Green Show. So um, always, always welcome on the program and a, a good friend. Let's see. I have a text. Jeff, is a bartender in Bayview... I will not miss the super drunk people that inevitably get kicked out of every bar after the frolics. It really brings out a bunch of morons. You know, and that's the, um, that's the, that's the, you know, that is the, that's the change. Okay, here's one. Jeff, you old fart. Times change. The frolics are part of the past. Time to move on. Well, 
I mean, maybe that's the answer. I mean, and I, I, I understand times do, in fact, change. I mean, you there's all sorts of, of institutions and traditions and things that, you know, people just, that they get tired of. Um, that doesn't mean that we, we can't miss them, and it doesn't mean that maybe some stuff doesn't die before their time. Uh, again, in the case of the frolics, I, I think part of it is they're fighting all the different, you know, other stuff that's going on, but part of it is also the changing nature of that neighborhood, and, uh, again, Milwaukee County did them no favors by creating a firearms, a fireworks controversy over the um, you know last couple years. Jeff and Fox Point says this makes me think of other businesses and events I would be sad to see leaving um, if they did so. And now maybe I should start attending them. I want to go to an Admirals game. Well, you know, I, that's that is this thing we assume. We assume all along. That just because something has been there, it's always going to be there. And you see that, and it's, it's not just community events like this, but it's, it's restaurants, it's all sorts of things. We take a lot of stuff for granted until it ends up being uh, gone. Andy in Waukesha. Andy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Um, well, there's one thing that affected Alliance Club that I was a member of for many years uh, in New Berlin. And that's sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And what we found was that as local businesses, which we depended upon for sponsorships, were bought out by big conglomerates, right? all of a sudden the sponsorship money for the Little Lions Club went away. Right. When, when you were, when, when I was, if I, if, if I was running Jeff's Hardware Store in, in New Berlin, you could come to me and say, hey, would you buy some ads or will you underwrite this or that? We're having this event. Sure. And I'd say yes. But, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. But, when, but it, when it's not Jeff's Hardware Store anymore, when it's you know the Mega Mart Hardware Store um, and, and you got to talk to somebody in Cleveland, Ohio or Delaware or whatever, it, it's a different dynamic, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, yeah no. That's- Certainly a factor. No, thanks for calling. And that's part of the thing they're saying, too, that just sponsorships are harder to come by. Again, this is one I can't tell you how much I hope I am wrong because I think this is a wonderful tradition, and it's a tradition that is worth keeping. I will just say this, though. Unless there is some angel investor that, that steps up and steps up in a big way, I would not be surprised at all to see the 2017 South Shore Frolics be the last Frolics, and that is Unfortunate. It is 12.52. Big story number three is coming up. Um, hmm, we're learning more about the Trump-Russia connection. Stick around. It's 12.55. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number three. And this is potentially a, a game changer. The, the whole Trump-Russia connection that appears to be going nowhere. And by that, I mean, there's no question that that the Russians tried to meddle in the 2016 elections. There's no question about that. But the allegations that the Trump campaign or President Trump himself coordinated somehow with the Russians, I I understand that that is sort of this liberal dream that you're going to be able to prove it and that's going to lead to impeachment. Well, it doesn't appear that that's going anywhere at all. But now, interesting revelations. How did all this get started? And the genesis behind the, the whole investigation, keep in mind, it was this, what's called this Trump dossier that, that came out um, last year. And it, it had all sorts of broad examination about 
um, you know, claims involving the President Trump and, you know, whether or not there was, uh, the, you know, was he doing business? And remember, it had all these salacious claims about, well, Trump was involved in Russian prostitutes and things like that. And that was, the, again, the genesis for the investigations, which, you know, are, are, are going on now. Well, of course, what we knew, first of all, is a lot of the stuff in the dossier was just sort of hooey. It was produced by the, this guy named Christopher Steele, who was like a former spy with extensive experience in Russia, who you know came up with a lot of this stuff that had all these wild different claims. Well, now it turns out that this whole Trump dossier was paid for by, again, the, ultimately by Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee. So here's what's, what's now coming out. The presidential campaign of Hillary Clinton, this is how the New York Times reports it, and the DNC paid for research that was included in the dossier made public in January that contained salacious claims about Donald Trump, his associates, and Russia. Apparently what happened is this came out in a letter that was filed in court Tuesday. What happened was that there's this thing called, this group called Fusion GPS. They began working for a law firm in April of 2016. This Fusion GPS was doing opposition research on Donald Trump and other Republicans. So a law firm hires them. Um, as it turns out, the law firm that hired these people got $12.4 million from the Clinton campaign and the DNC. So what happens is the Clinton campaign and the DNC hires the law firm. The law firm hires this this company to go out and to muckrake. That company hires this crazy ex-spy, and you get all these different salacious reports. And then they cover it up. They fight the fact that the funding ultimately came from Hillary Clinton and the DNC. Now, the argument is, that the way they did it was to try to get deniability. The Clinton campaign says, well, yeah, we hired the law firm, but wink, wink, nod, nod, we didn't know what they were doing with the money. The Democratic National Committee says essentially the same thing. Yes, we hired them, but we didn't know that they were then taking our money and using it to fund this opposition research es- um, effort that, that ended up with all this this kind of crazy stuff. We didn't know about it. Well, Okay, I mean, I understand they're trying to get plausible deniability here, but but seriously, the bottom line and the upshot of this is it does, I think, cast doubt over the integrity of this investigation. If it turns out that the stuff that fueled the investigation in the first place ended up being, again, paid for by directly or indirectly by the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. And for anybody who, and again, I just don't think that there's ever going to be fire to go along with any sort of smoke. But now we're starting to understand that a lot of the smoke was manufactured as opposition research paid for by the, the Democrats. If nothing else, I think this, again, is fuel for saying, put up or shut up. And, you know, if you're conducting an investigation, you got to get it over with quickly, especially since we now know that the impetus for this might have been political skullduggery to begin with. It's 110, Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. This is the controversy in Eau Claire. Now, over the years, we have talked about 
numerous variations of the breastfeeding issue. And I understand that um, it is a natural process. I'm not an anti-breastfeeder, but there's always these controversies about there's some people who say it is appropriate anytime, anywhere, and there's other people who say, well, no, it, it's not necessarily, and it's not against, people aren't necessarily against breastfeeding, but the idea that, you know, you, you do it in a public restaurant or whatever, um, th- there's just different types of limits. But people have a right to breastfeed. But is that absolute? Here is the story. There is a woman who serves on the Eau Claire City Council. So she is an elected official. The city council holds regular meetings. And it, it, just like it, in many city councils, apparently the the the, the members of the city council are, are on a raised platform. They're like on a, on a stage or a dais or, or whatever. So they're up above the people who then attend the meeting. So they're on the dais. I do not know if these events are televised, like on uh, a lot of the city councils, you know, it, it's televised on like the local community access channel or whatever. Don't know if that's the case. But the city council members are up on, on a stage, a dais. Okay, there is a council woman, um, and what she had started doing, her name is Catherine Emanuel, and, and she has a, a baby. And she had started bringing her baby to the city council meetings and sitting up on on the stage and breastfeeding the child while the meeting was going on. Right. Well, a number of her fellow council members uh, objected to that. I mean, she's breastfeeding while the the baby while the the meeting was going on. And they said, well, look, if you need to do this, we're willing to try to work with you and accommodate you like we could give you, you know, we, we could take like a 10 or 15 minute recess. And she said, well, no, that's not going to work because sometimes it takes me longer than 10 or 15 minutes to breastfeed my child. I, I should just be able to do it while the meeting is, is going on. So there was this back and forth. They told her no. Matter became public. And then you had apparently they were besieged by petitions from all over the world. People saying, you're just Neanderthals. How dare you stop this woman from breastfeeding whenever and wherever she wants to, in, including the, the meetings. Um, so what happened is the other day the Eau Claire Council took a vote. And what they did is they voted to say that only um, only council members could be on on the dais. So essentially um, what they were doing, and now the reason they, they do it, only council members and other city staff are allowed to be on, on the stage. So that means you can't have your children up there, you can't have your friends up there, and it also means that the lady can't bring her child up there to, to breastfeed because children aren't allowed. So it's a way of dealing with the breastfeeding issue without directly dealing with the breastfeeding issue. But this is all about breastfeeding. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should the councilwoman have been allowed to, during the council meetings, while she's sitting on the stage, should she have been allowed to breastfeed? Or is there a time and a place for everything? And during one of these council meetings, you know, when you're officially on the clock in this fashion, um, is it unacceptable 
to do this in, in public. Is this one of the times where imposing a reasonable limit on breastfeeding? And like I say, the way they did this is they went after breastfeeding and they, they, they expanded it to allow nobody other than authorized personnel up on the stage. But it's all because of breastfeeding. Here's the underlying question I have. All right. Was there anything wrong with her deciding she wants to breastfeed her child on the stage during the middle of the meetings? Or is this a situation where even if you're into breastfeeding, there's a time and a place for everything, and sitting during the council meeting where you're interacting with other members of the council and the general public, that maybe that's not the appropriate time to be doing this. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I have a very strong opinion on this, and I will share it with you, but I want to know what you think we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Um, we'll discuss. It's one fifteen. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's one seventeen. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our text line, has, as I expected, exploded. Somebody sends me this note. Uh, your right to breastfeed in public is protected by law. Wisconsin statute so-and-so says that a mother may breastfeed her child in any public or private location, and no person may prohibit a mother from breastfeeding her child, tell a mother to move to another location to breastfeed her child, or tell a mother to cover her child or breast while breastfeeding. Yeah, but that's that's not really, I don't think, applicable necessarily here, because the, the, the woman is at work, and this is effectively a workplace rule that are putting into effect. If they If she was in the general audience... And they were saying, you can't breastfeed. I think that statute would kick in. But I don't think that just because you have that statute that says you have a right to breastfeed in public, I don't think that that means employers don't have a right to put reasonable limitations. Now, the question is, is this a reasonable limitation? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to disagree with me. And, and I'm, I'm not one of these guys that gets hung up over this. But having said that, she is at work. I mean, she is, in fact, at work. And I think I would argue that, you know, feeding the child while you are at work, while you are conducting the council meeting, I I don't care whether she's breastfeeding or bottle feeding, I would argue that that is inappropriate. It is a distraction to her. She's supposed to be doing her her job. And, I mean, I'm trying to think, let's imagine a judge in a courtroom. All right. Can you imagine a judge? Okay, that they're supposed to be hearing the cases, sitting there, either, either bottle feeding or breastfeeding. I just think that there is a time and a place. And while you are on the job, while you are at work, while you're supposed to be paying attention to the, these different, you know, what, whatever the concerns are, the debates on the council, I think it's inappropriate to be feeding your child. I don't. Hopefully that doesn't make me this Neanderthal, but I just think there's a time and a place. She's she's at work. She's in the workplace. They tried to accommodate her by saying, hey, if you need to do this, we'll take a 10-minute recess. She said, no, 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 I might need longer than that. 414-799-1620. Angela in Wauwatosa. Angela, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Angela. Um, I agree with you. I nursed my son for 23 months. I still nurse my daughter. She's 16 months. And I would never expect to be able to nurse during a meeting if they gave her the accommodation of the 10 minutes and i think that that's sufficient mm-hmm. so i mean the the idea right and they're they're not telling they're not telling her you know you can't do it they're just saying hey while while you are at work while you're in this particular workplace setting no you you, you can't do it then you know we'll, we'll try to accommodate you so you, this doesn't strike right. you as being unreasonable at all 
Not at all. And I used to teach first grade. I can't imagine thinking that it would be okay to nurse while teaching. You just can't right. nurse in certain places. Well, right. That, that's 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 a great example of this. I mean, you're you're on the job, and she is on the job. Um, you know, should you expect her or should the employer, again, this is a workplace rule, should the employer say, okay, well, we have to accommodate you, you know, you can stand in front of the class and do that. I think, you know, lots of people would say, no, you have to make other arrangements. Maybe this is one of the things where you pre-pump or, or whatever, where you do that type right. of stuff, and or and then you have somebody else that's around the bottle feed. It's This is her job that she was elected to. Right. right, and there's so many jobs. You cannot nurse while on the job, and that that's just, they have to give you time to nurse, but you can't do it while you're working. Right, it, right, exactly. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, that's I guess that's what kind of struck me about this, and I understand this is being viewed as this sort of cause celeb and they're anti-breastfeeding, but, I mean, I don't know. You're supposed to be paying attention. I mean, this is kind of, this is one of the meetings, and, you know, maybe... You know, maybe you can do multiple things at once. But again, I go back to the argument. I would argue it is inappropriate if she were bottle feeding the, the child. I would argue that that's inappropriate during the course of the meeting. You've just got to structure this stuff around how many meetings can they have on the Eau Claire City Council. Okay, and if you know that every other Tuesday from 7 to 9 o'clock at night you're going to be doing this, well, then I, I think maybe it's incumbent upon you to make some adjustments. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for the great show. Thanks. Um, I agree completely with your phrase that there is a time and a place for everything. Uh, this woman on the board has ample opportunities to breastfeed that occur while she is not on the podium right. during a city council meeting. And and even above that, the Eau Claire City Council offered to give her time during the meeting to go to a private place and go breastfeed. And yeah. she still didn't accept that. And I really like how the Eau Claire City Council tactfully um, handled the situation by just banning children right. from being on stage. So she can't go to the court and say, well, they're banning me from breastfeeding my child. No, they're banning all children right. from being on stage. Which is, but, a, which is a reasonable position as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. if you're, with, I don't care whether you're a male or female, you know, you don't, when, when you're supposed to be, for however long that meeting lasts, you're supposed to be, you're on the clock, you're conducting city business, you don't necessarily need a toddler, you know, running up and, you know, pulling, Dad, Dad, I need this or that or the other thing. You make arrangements to have some degree of child care for that period of time where you're out of pocket. They're not telling her she can't breastfeed in her office. They're not telling her, they're just saying, hey, while the meeting is going on, you know, we want you paying attention here and we don't want you breastfeeding. And I don't think that's unreasonable. And imagine if you lived in the city of Eau Claire and you wanted to bring an issue before the board. Is that what you really want to look at while you're trying to present your issue? Well, well, well I think, and if you're, well, I, I mean, I mean, I would rephrase that. I mean, to me, it would be, all right. Don't you think you're entitled to the woman's undivided attention? I mean, and and that's. That would be, I think, you know, as a as a council member, that would be it. Like I say, I'm 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 going back and I'm using my example of of a judge. Let's say you've got a female judge that's on the bench and she's breastfeeding. Okay, if she wants to take a you know a break and declare a recess and go back and breastfeed the child in chambers, no no problem. But you're you're having a jury trial and you know the judge is either bottle feeding or breastfeeding. 
I, I, I just I question how much they could be paying attention. I mean, again, it is a distraction. That's why I think, you know, Eau Claire is doing absolutely the right thing. OK, I've texted some. So what if she moves to the audience area? Yeah, actually, they they offered her that. They said, well, OK, if, if you want to do this, you can go into the audience area. And she didn't want to do that because then she wasn't on the um uh, Dias, uh, let's see. I agree with your another text. I agree with your argument completely. She's at work, um, you know, which I I think is is the part of this. Um, you know, let's see another text. I thought part of the breastfeeding uh, point is to bond with the baby, which means quiet times and no distractions. Um, yeah, here's another one of our texts. Um, it has nothing to do with breastfeeding. She should not be bringing an infant toddler. Um, or anything to work, which is a distraction, must le- much less up on the stage. Yeah, I, I think that's, to me, that's what the key to all this is about. So, um, again, this is going to be, this story, trust me, is going to go national, and a lot of the people in the Eau Claire City Council who voted in favor of this resolution are going to be called Neanderthals, and don't you realize all the values of breastfeeding? No, there is a time and a place. This was inappropriate, in my opinion, under the circumstances which she was doing it. They're not telling her they don't do it. They're just saying for, again, that two hours or however long the darn meeting lasts, make other arrangements. And the truth is, I don't think that that is unreasonable. There's lots of working moms that are able to make those arrangements. She only has a finite period of time. You know, for however long she's on the stage, once a week, once every other week, however often they meet, you would think that it wouldn't be too burdensome to say, okay, figure out an alternative plan for those couple hours. It's 126. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, as long as we're talking about local issues, a Milwaukee a Milwaukee uh, alderman who is almost always wrong continues his streak. We'll talk about it. And if you are a marathon runner, you want to be listening. Stick around. It's 126. It's 135. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Off to a fast start. And considering off-season changes to conference opponents, just how high is the ceiling for the Milwaukee Bucks this season? Justin Garcia in for Greg Matzik. Tease that up. Tune into Sports Central. 635. Justin does an outstanding job. Gru, who is producing the show today and always. Will it surprise you if I tell you that I really only run when people are chasing me? That I, I'm just, I'm not, you're not, I, I am not, I, I see these people who run in the marathons and they train for them. And I, I say go with God. That's great if you want to do it. I, I'm not one of those people. How about you? Are you one? You did cross country in high school, so you run for sport. Do you still run? From time to time. But okay. But, well, anyway, I, I, I think it's, it's one. I do walk. My wife is a big walker, and so as a result, I am a walker as well. So, you know, but to me, like a two- or three-mile walk is is fine, and it's fun. Running, eh, not so much so. I did years and years ago. Uh, they had Owls Run, and I remember th- this is a long time ago. And for some reason, I, I went into Owls Run, and I, I was I was running with – this was – gosh, this is more – must have been more than 30 years ago. So this was when I, with my roommate. And we were running, and he actually kind of dropped out right as soon as we hit, like, the first bar. You know, he kind of disappeared. Then, then I was running, and people dressed like fruit were passing me, and people, like, pushing strollers with kids were passing me. And, and, and every – it seemed like every quarter mile there would be a different high school band playing the theme to Rocky. Going to fly now. You know, it's, it's I'm kind of laboring through. So I, I – but – 
I, I, I do not fault this. And, and I think it, it's it's cool. And I know lots of people who are, again, the marathon runners. And it's a very, very big deal. And believe me, I take my hat off. Anybody who can finish 26.2 miles, wow. I mean, that that's just incredible. Well, anyhow, um, for the last couple of years, there has been the Milwaukee Marathon, which is different from other marathons in the area. Um, this year, it was the PNC Milwaukee Marathon. And it happened uh, a you know, a couple weeks ago, you will remember that last year there was a huge problem with the marathon because when they measured the course, now the the distance of the marathon, it's important because these are these things that you, you register, you pay a bunch of money. I mean, I think this one to register, depending on when you registered, it cost you anywhere from 75 bucks to 130 bucks, uh, depending on, on how early you registered. But it's a big deal because the the granddaddy of all marathons is the Boston Marathon. And in order to qualify for the Boston Marathon, you need to have run in another marathon and you need to have a certain time. So that, that it's it's a big deal. It's also important that the marathon distance be measured correctly because, well, I, I don't know, since times are important, if, if it's supposed to be 26.2 miles, and the course is measured at 26 and a half miles, well, your, your time is going to be altered, or if it's too short, vice versa. So anyhow, last year, the marathon course was measured incorrectly. It was too long. And you will remember the controversy as well. Apparently, there was one kind of obscure spot where they had cones that were placed, and somebody either kicked the cones off the course or removed them or whatever, and so people... People were supposed to, like, turn or angle, and they didn't, and they kept running straight. So some people um, ran a lot longer, sometimes by at least a half a mile, or in some cases even more than that. Well, those folks, um, they're, you know, who knows, they, they, they wanted to, like, take their times and try to have their times adjusted to see if they would qualify, and they weren't able to do that. So th- this was kind of a, it was a big deal, and it was a controversy. So this year, um there was new ownership of of this marathon, and um, what the new owners did, the new organizers and owners did, was they decided to use the same the same folks that measured the course wrong last year. They hired them again to measure the course, and the, the course kind of changed from last year. But they hired them again to to measure. And this time, they got it wrong. This time, the marathon course fell short by about eight-tenths of a mile. So instead of running 26.2 miles, they ran like 25.4. So again, there's this whole controversy. The times are no good because you, you, you just you don't know, um, which does bring in the larger question about – how can you do this? I mean, if, if the company they hire, and apparently it's a company, they, they do this all the time. How can you get it wrong by, by almost a mile? I mean, seriously, how can you be that screwed up that you get it wrong? And how can you get it wrong, you know, two years in a row? It would seem to me that if I was the company that got it wrong the first year, unless I've got nothing but bozos working for me, I'm going to make darn sure that if they hire me again, I'm going to get it right. So there, there's no excuse for any of this, right? And everybody, I think, who ran in the marathon and was trying to qualify for Boston, 
Um, I, I think they have every right to be extremely upset about this. So let me just say that at the beginning. But here's where it wait, here where it gets interesting. Um, there are certain members of the Milwaukee Common Council who have the distinction of almost never being right. Now, every once in a while, you know, the blind squirrel does find an acorn. But but in general, day in, day out, there are certain politicians that if you're trying to figure out where you should be on an issue, you find out where they are, and then you go the other way, and you will be right. Alderman Bob Bauman, who runs, he's the alderman for downtown Milwaukee. He is one of the big trolley advocates um, he runs downtown Milwaukee like it is his own private fiefdom. And he's been responsible, I think, for a lot of the, I'm going to use the term extortion in quotation marks. Um, if, if you don't do it Bob Bauman's way or he doesn't like it, he tries to block it. And like I say, most of the times he's wrong. He's a big trolley advocate, things like that. So Bob Bauman, now a lot of the course runs through his district. So he's out today saying that um, he is considering blocking the Milwaukee Marathon. They need a permit. The organizers need a permit to run. So here's what Bauman is saying. He says, we have organizers of this event who can't even get the correct distance for a marathon, much less coordinate all the logistical issues that goes into pulling an event like this off. I hope we have put this out of its misery for at least a couple years until we have some individuals come forward who actually have a proven track record in getting the right distance for marathons at a minimum. So in other words, he's saying that unless there's a change in ownership or something, he's not going to give people another chance, and he's going to do everything he can to try to block issuing a permit. Um, He's the chairman of the city's public works committee, um, and... you know, he is one of the people that, uh, again, has a degree of control. And because aldermen defer to each other, since a lot of this running is in his district, if he says no to giving them a permit, it could create a huge hardship. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm not going to defend the organizers, and it does seem to me it's kind of the gang that couldn't shoot straight. How tough is it really to lay out a course that's 26.2 miles? I mean, they do it all over the country on a regular basis. It's not like this is the first marathon that was ever scheduled. Having said all that, though, I think it is wrong in the extreme for a Milwaukee alderman to say, okay, well, because they screwed up and they got the distance wrong, I'm not going to allow the organizers to have another shot at this. Now, it may be that people decide, hey, we don't trust the organizers, we don't think they know how to do this, we're not going to pay our money and participate. But but that's a decision, it seems to me, that should be made by the at the participant level. And obviously the organizers have to do something to try to win the support of the people who are going to run. But th- these are good events. I mean, th- these are good events. And I, to say... As a common council person, hey, we're not going to give you a permit to conduct this because you measured it too long or too short. I just think that's fundamentally wrong. 414-799-1620. Should we end the PNC Milwaukee Marathon because they weren't able to get the distance right? More importantly, I guess the more accurate question is, should Milwaukee city government force this event to end 
because the organizers screwed up the distance. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And again, my point is, that this to me, is it's, a, it's, a, it's letting the free market take shape. Obviously, if I was a marathon runner and I was trying to decide what I was going to participate in, I would have hard, tough questions for the organizers next year. I mean, how are we know you're going to get this one right? But that doesn't mean that they should lose their ability from the city to run the per, to run the event, does it? 414-799-1620. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner. We discuss next. It's 149, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Look, I'm, I'm not going to defend the organizers of this PNC, PNC Milwaukee Marathon. I, I don't understand how you can you know, measure a course. It's supposed to be 26.2 miles and, and have it come up eight-tenths of a mile short. But that now you've got a Milwaukee alderman, Bob Bauman, who's saying, well, I, I, I don't know that we should give them a permit to do this next year. They can't even get it right. Okay, well, let the free market take over, for goodness sakes. Why in the world would you have a Milwaukee alderman saying, no, you know, we're not going to allow this event to, to operate. Uh, Gene in Waukesha. Gene, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I just thought that uh, I think that somebody should point out to Mr. Bauman the revenues that this marathon brings in. People come from other states, stay overnight, go out to eat. Probably a lot of money if you look at it. Mm-hmm. Did you Did you run in the marathon this year, Gene? I did not. The last time I ran a marathon was in about 96. <laughs> okay. But I did run the Mar- Milwaukee Marathon, and the organizers were great back then. I don't know what's happened since then, but maybe they need to get new organizers. Well, well right, or, or figure out how to measure, of course, because, I mean, I, I understand it is mind-boggling to me that you, you can't exactly get it right. Now, interestingly, from what I understand is they hired this group. It's not like they hired, you know, they went to the Handy Andy and hired Mo Shemp and Curly to go out and measure it. They hired this, whoever they were hiring does this all the time. I don't know how they screwed up, but but you're right. I mean, it it is something that attracts people to come to Milwaukee and spend money. Maybe they're not going to have confidence in the marathon next year, so maybe they're not going to want to come, but at least give the organizers the opportunity to put it on. Why should city government be saying, no, we're not going to let you do it? Yeah, I don't. I don't. The guy's off the wall. All right. Th- thanks for calling. Again, I mean, it's it's it is a fair question. And again, I think the organizers, after having screwed up two years in a row, I, I think the organizers and whoever owns this now, you know, moving forward, they're going to have to do a lot, I think, to convince people that, hey, you know, if you come and you train and you run in this thing, that, you know, your times are going to be good enough to qualify for Boston or or whatever. At the same time, for people who aren't competitive runners and aren't going to try to qualify for Boston, you still finish the marathon. I mean, I, I do think it, it, it's kind of a cool thing that you finish the marathon. As far as I'm concerned, if that was me and they said, hey, Jeff, you know, running a marathon. Yeah, I ran in the Milwaukee Marathon. I, I finished it. I mean, th- that would be cool in and of itself. But again, I mean, I think that there's no question that the people who are trying to qualify have every right to make demands of the organizers, including maybe demanding their money back. I don't know if that's going to happen. But but to have city government say, no, we're not going to let you do this. You know, give me a break. Let's talk to Mike in Sheboygan. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, um, I was just going to say that if, um, you know, short of them telling them that they can't, <laughs> they can't uh, um, basically have the marathon, maybe they could do, you know, like submit some sort of plan of, you know, what happened the last couple of years and how they're going to fix it. And then, um, you know, maybe have them hire a different company to that has a better track record or, or whatever. So I think what's going to happen is, you know, it's going to get a bad name for, you know, 
yeah. walk you that maybe it's not worth running or, you know, they're going to go somewhere oh. else because they're not going to qualify or something. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, thanks for, I mean, that, that it, it is a huge, look, see, I guess I see this as two issues, and that's how I try to start this off with the leadoff. You know, if I was a competitive runner who was training for marathons with the idea that I, I want to get, I, I want to get to run the Boston Marathon, and I saw this type of screw up two years in a row, I would be extremely reluctant to shell out 90 bucks or 100 bucks or 130 bucks or whatever, you know, unless and until I had some pretty firm guarantees that these mistakes weren't going to be repeated. I mean, I, I completely appreciate it. At the same time, my guess is there's a lot of people who just want the experience and aren't necessarily even, tr- they're just trying to finish. For them, it's not going to be as big a deal. But again, those those are marketing things that, that you have to deal with. That's different than, you know, one boss city alderman who thinks, you know, that he runs the city from being able to say, well, I mean, this runs through my district and I'm not sure we're going to give him a permit. That's a completely different kettle of fish. Um, will the Milwaukee Marathon continue? Well, that's going to depend on the organizers and their ability to win the trust of the runners back. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. But but in this particular case, I mean, just to keep the politics out of it, for goodness sakes, especially, like I say, an alderman who has a track record of almost always being wrong. Dave and Grafton. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, aldermen meddling in this marathon are partially responsible for the, the two screw-ups in the last two years. This used to be the Milwaukee Lakefront Marathon, and meddling aldermen wanted the route changed to go through their districts to bring more attention and more revenue to their district, and and this was the result. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know... They can issue a permit with all kinds of different demands into it. And then, like you say, let the participants uh, vote with their feet if they don't have confidence in it. But once again, the politicians aren't going to fix this. Right. Right. It, 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 right. It, exactly. The organizers are. Thanks for calling. And right. Again, it's just just stay out. I mean, the question becomes now, if the argument was, all right, this marathon is creating all sorts of problems. It it's a nuisance or the people that come to attend it are are, I, I don't know, peeing on people's sidewalks and we have all these extra calls for police. I mean, I think that's fair. If that were the case, then it would be fair to say, okay, is this more trouble than it's worth? Do we issue the organizers a permit? But that's not what the claims are. They're not alleging it's a nuisance. This is just, again, one of these out-of-control aldermen who thinks he is a king trying to dictate terms when he should just stay the heck out of it. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Well, not so fast. Um, the Re- Republicans are trying to push through some form of tax reform. And and believe me, I, I believe the tax code badly needs to be reformed. But the devil is in the details. As we have talked about before, one of the problems is that, that the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, and I agree with him on this, has declared that any tax reform needs to be revenue neutral. In other words, for every reform that cuts taxes... There has to be something else that balances that out. In other words, increases taxes. There has to be winners and losers. Now, to me, 
That is not the way Republicans should be governing. I would say that rather than trying to find tax increases to offset tax decreases, what you should be doing is looking to cut spending. I mean, that that's how I would think in a perfect world you would do it. Yeah, we're going to implement these changes. We're going to reduce spending. And as a result, that gives us room to cut taxes. But, of course, that's not how it works in Washington. We have to balance tax decreases with tax increases. So there are winners and losers. One of the things that I've been cautioning about for a while now is that one of the things that is on the table is that um, they are considering eliminating your ability to deduct your uh, property tax payments and your state tax payments, which would be huge in Wisconsin because what that will mean is for many people who now itemize on their taxes, um, that, that you'd still be able to write off mortgage interest, um, but but if you take away the ability to deduct property taxes and the ability to deduct state income taxes, chances are that ability to write off your your um, your mortgage interest won't matter because you're probably not going to have enough deductions then to end up itemizing. So for some people, they will be winners. For a lot of people, I think including a lot of middle-class homeowners, they will be losers. And you don't know until you actually sit down in your individual situation uh, and, and you know put pencil to paper and do the math. But I think that if this goes through, there's going to be a lot of people, middle-class people, in a high-tax state like Wisconsin, or at least a high-property tax state like Wisconsin, who are end up going to end up being losers. And that's why whenever I've had an opportunity to speak to congressmen, either on the air or off the air, I kind of say, well, let's be careful about this. What is this going to mean for your constituents? One of the other things that was being kicked around is a proposal which would, in essence, again, instead of cutting spending as a way to generate more revenue, it would take away the ability of people to deduct the money that they put into their 401k plans up front. Now, chances are, if you work, um, you are probably one of the millions of Americans who contribute to your retirement savings through contributions, deductions from your current paycheck that you then put into your 401k plan. There's two types of 401k plans. The less common is what's known as the Roth plan. You take money that you are paid. You put it into your 401k plan. You pay taxes on it immediately, and then it grows tax-free. Right? Some people do that, but that is not the more common. The more common 401k plan is you get paid money. You have X amount of money out of every paycheck put into your 401k plan, and you don't have to pay taxes when you earn that money. You don't have to pay tax on that money that you are putting into your 401k plan. It grows tax deferred. So when you take it out, whenever you take it out, after you hit retirement wage or whatever, you start paying tax on it. But you get a break up front by being able to deduct to essentially reduce your income. That is the incentive that gets people to save. It also, in the short run, costs the government hundreds of millions of dollars because, let's say, you can contribute right now the limit. Next year, the limit's going to be 18500 plus an additional 6000 if you're over 50. But, okay, let's say, let's say you contribute $10,000 to your um, 401k plan. Let's say you make $70,000. That $10,000 you contribute comes right off the top, so your income 
you know, your income base drops to 60000 and then goes lower as you get your different deductions or whatever. But it is an incentive that encourages people to contribute. It also costs the government present dollars. Well, rather than cutting spending, what some Republicans, Republicans are thinking about doing is eliminating this. I think it would be disastrous because I think the first of all, we do not. We collectively as Americans do not save enough for our retirement. Pensions are going the way of the dinosaur in many, many cases. And Social Security, who knows where Social Security is going to be for people at for people who are 30 or 40. If you're 50 or older, I think it's going to be there for you. But I don't know for younger generations. We need to do everything we possibly can to encourage people to save. And one of the incentives we get, we give to people to save, is we give them the tax break up front. Um, Republicans are considering doing away with this. Two years, two days ago, we, we talked about President Trump came out and said, nope, this is not going to happen. I guarantee you, you know, this is one of the greatest things for middle class savers, or savers for retirement ever. We're not going to do away with it. Well, this morning, the, uh, chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, a guy named Kevin Brady, he said, well, no, that that's we don't care what the president's saying. Um, yeah, we're looking at you know forcing changes to 401k plans and other retirement accounts. What they're thinking about doing is limiting the amount of money that you can put in tax-deferred, uh, reducing it from $18,500 to like $2,400, which is absolutely nothing, just absolutely nothing. It will kill people it will it will kill people from making the decision to save um and again president trump president trump is out there saying no this is a non-starter and maybe he means it maybe he doesn't but for everybody who thought oh my 401k is safe well it's not safe because you've got republicans and i hate to say this but you've got republicans who don't want to deal with spending cuts and are looking at more ways to get into your pocket and raid your pocket for revenue. And one of the things they're thinking about doing is going after your 401k plan. The president says this is a non-starter. I hope he's right. I hope he sticks to it. But I'm not sure you can count on that. So word of warning. All right. When we come back, really interesting story. A bunch of kids, and I say kids, are in a lot of trouble. Some people think that they are being overcharged. We will discuss. Stick around. It's 2.15. It's 2.18. Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Just send out this tweet. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner, 6.20. Kind of give you a uh, hint of kind of where we go with the program from time to time. Coming up in about 20 minutes, ah, forget the latest Trump fight, forget the politics, forget the crazy county executive who's in a you-know-wedding match with the county board. And, and actually, it is kind of interesting to me when the Milwaukee County Executive, Chris Abley, gets into a brouhaha where he decides to spend a lot of his campaign money, um, daddy's money in other words, going after the Milwaukee County Board and the clown car act that that is. Um, and generally when they get into a peeing match, I just kind of like to stand by the side and just watch and try not to get wet. That, that's, that's my goal. But it, it has been fascinating um, to watch that whole thing. But we put that aside. Halloween is coming up, and I have a fun topic coming up in about 20 minutes. Before that, this is a story that caught my attention. And, and let me just kind of back into this. There is a there's a, if you ever drive I-43 North, right around Hampton Avenue to the west, there, there's a golf course. It's a nine-hole county course called Lincoln Park. I actually grew up playing golf on, on Lincoln Park. 
and the used to be it was the sixth hole. The sixth hole used to be it was a par three, so it's a shorter hole from an elevated tee. So and and you hit down into onto the green. The the thing was that the hole ran along the the freeway. And you're on this elevated T, and what would happen from time to time is if you had a golfer who would hook the ball, hit it from right to left, um, occasionally you would hit the ball onto the freeway. Now, once, and I remember this like it was yesterday, I was driving north on I-43, I'm in my car or whatever, a golf ball, and I mean, I didn't see it till the end, golf ball comes and hits no more than, I, I think, about three or four feet in front of my car, and then takes this big bounce. But, I mean, I freak out. I slam on my brakes. It is a miracle that that was not an accident. And over the years, they had had problems with people getting hit with golf balls and causing huge damage and collisions to the point that they now they changed the course so now it's not an elevated tee anymore. And I guess it's still possible if you hit a really bad shot to get the ball on the freeway, but it, it's, it's harder to do that the way, the, the way they've set it up. But if you've ever experienced something like that, something when you're driving on a freeway, um, something coming down and almost hitting your car or hitting your car, you know how horrible that can be. Which brings us to the story from um, last week. It was last week, Thursday, about 8.30 at night. There's this guy. He's a construction worker. He's a thir- His name is Kenneth White, and he lives in the Flint, Michigan area. He's driving home from work. I'm heading home in a in a van driven by a friend. So he's a passenger. Friend is driving. They're coming home from work. They're going south on one of the freeways at about 70 miles an hour, and they come up to this overpass. Well, what happens is there's one, two, three, four, five kids that are standing on the overpass. And what they had apparently been doing is they'd been dropping rocks and chunks of concrete off the overpass trying to hit cars. So they drop this chunk of of concrete, weighs about six pounds. One of them drops this chunk of concrete, and it smashes through the windshield of this van, and it hits the man. Um, it, it fractures his skull. Um, he's, he's dead. He's dead as a result of being hit by this. Well, it turns out that, you know, these five, five kids, and I was looking at their pictures. They had their pictures on Good Morning America today. Um, two, let's see, two of them are 15, two of them are 16, one is 17. Now, the one that is 17 was actually the one that dropped this particular piece of concrete that hit and killed the man. But, but they'd all been throwing rocks and dropping concrete on, on cars. Um, so it was just that the, the kid that happened, it was just happenstance that the slab of concrete that the 17-year-old dropped was the one that killed this person. Apparently what they say is that um, there had been, they estimated that um, multiple vehicles had been hit um, none of the people, other people had been injured, though. The investigators said 20 rocks were found, including one that weighed 20 pounds. So you've got these five kids who are dropping chunks of concrete or rocks, trying to hit cars. They do. They hit and kill a guy. All right. So all five have now been charged as adults 
with second-degree murder, and you would say, well, okay, how could you charge all of them with second-degree murder, either second-degree murder or conspiracy to commit second-degree murder, which is causing death by, you know, reckless behavior. So they bring all five of them in with a conspiracy charge. They're saying, hey, they were all trying to drop these rocks and drop this concrete, and, yeah, the one kid did it, but it was it could have been any of them who, who did that. They were all part and parcel of this. Well, I'm watching Good Morning America today, and, and of course, you've got the legal analysts who are saying, well, I think there's a lot of people who believe that this was overcharged. I mean, there there was just this prank that was out there. These are, you know, good kids, 15, 16, 17. They didn't mean to kill anybody. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I say nuts to that. You have these five kids who are all old enough to know better, dropping heavy chunks of concrete or rock off an overpass, trying to hit cars. Did they necessarily intend to kill this poor man? Well, okay, maybe they didn't say, hey, here he's coming, we're going to try to kill this particular guy. But I think it is reasonably foreseeable that when you drop a rock or a piece of concrete off an overpass, something like this is going to happen. And you know what? They should be prosecuted. They should be treated as adults. There is somebody that's dead, and they should be sent to prison. Oh, he's saying send a 15-year-old to prison. You're right. I am. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 225. It's 227, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm sorry, this one goes right through me. This could happen to anybody. You drop chunks of concrete off an overpass trying to hit cars. You hit a car, you kill somebody. I don't care if you're 15 or 55, you go to prison. Dick in Milwaukee. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Uh, This is a situation that's been going on for a long time. Years, Some years ago, I was driving east on I-94 downtown, and there were some kids on the 26th Street uh, overpasses before they put the right those uh, big those big barriers they have yeah, right the big right. netting the netting. And I yeah. saw them, you know, mimic or pretend like they I did not pretend, but go through the motion of throwing something. All of a sudden, a rock hit my windshield mm-hmm. that shattered. Um, fortunately, there was nobody next to me. I was able to blast over a couple of lanes. You know, I was able to get off the freeway. Right, wheeling around, I caught the kids. Uh, they were about to drop the bottom half of the old-fashioned glass Coke bottle in front of a gasoline sa- uh, tanker truck. Mm. Yeah, so <laughs> that was at the point that I was angry enough. I threw them in my car, took them to the cops. <laughs> <laughs> See, now nowadays you wouldn't do that. You'd get arrested for, like, false imprisonment or something like that. But, yeah, but, I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, it... It, you know, I mean, I hear that story, Dick, that it hits your windshield. I could easily see somebody, you know, you lose control. Imagine if there's heavy traffic, you swerve, you hit the car next to you, or you hit the brakes, which is a natural reaction, the car behind you hits you. I mean, it, it, it is incredibly reckless to do something like this. Oh, and that's, I'm thankful to this very day that there wasn't heavy traffic next to me. Otherwise, there would have been a significant accident. Yeah. But, uh, no, that is something that if these kids can be tried as adults, Yep. You know, do, do it. it. No, thank, I, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, like I say, I, I just I just still vividly remember, and this is years and years ago, that golf ball, somebody didn't throw it from an overpass. It was just hit. But, I mean, I remember it landing right in front of my car and thinking, you know, a, a half second later, that's going through the window. That's going through my windshield. Henry in Kenosha, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. And first off, congratulations on your recent marriage. Thank you very much. I, like I say, I've outkicked my coverage. I am very fortunate. <laughs> 
you are indeed. Years ago, my dad pointed out the story to me um, about the kids on an interstate overpass dropping pumpkins into the on- path of oncoming semi-trailers. Huh. One of the pumpkins decapitated the driver of the truck. Sure. Ever ever since, believe it or not, as an aside, I, I look at overpasses before oh. I go underneath them, or, you know, what can you do at 60, 70 miles an hour, but I still look, maybe you can duck. Um, but anyway, these kids are appropriately charged and hopefully will be tried in adult court. And yeah, right. No, exactly. I mean, no, thank, thanks for calling, Henry. And, I mean, I was like I say this morning. I'm watching Good Morning America, and I'm, I'm looking at the pictures of these kids, and it's it's they're all like these cherubic little sweet faced children. And the ABC analyst was going, well, I you know this is they might charge them like this, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to prosecute them for this. And and I, I, I'm again, it's one of these things where I'm shouting at the television set. Of course, you prosecute them for this. And, and yes, you don't just prosecute the one that dropped that chunk of concrete. You prosecute them all because it was just happenstance that it was that piece of concrete that killed the person. They were all doing this. They were they were out there for fun. They were trying to hit cars. It was reasonably foreseeable that if you hit a car, something like you're going to cause that type of damage. And you know that at 15 and 16 and 17. And this is this is really no different than standing on that overpass with a rifle and shooting at cars. They were trying to do the same thing, and they need to be treated like adults. And I don't care if they're sweet-looking 15- and 16-year-olds. Somebody is dead because of what they did. It's 2.36, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. I am sympathetic, and yet I'm only sympathetic to a a point. Um, Over the last couple weeks, there's been huge controversy about whether or not the federal government has done enough to help out the people in Puerto Rico. And remember, that was the the big anti-Trump issue du jour a week or two ago, the you-know-wedding match between the president and the mayor of San Juan, who, um, on the one hand, I, I she, she's got angry constituents who want everything back to normal, and she's politically motivated, so she goes after President Trump, and he responds in kind, and then, of course, you're, you're off to the races. Now, the, the problem, I, I think, all along has been, you know, I, I think there's only so much that FEMA can do. You know, you have, for example, Puerto Rico, which before the hurricane was it was an economic disaster. The, the, the infrastructure was challenged to begin with. And then you have this massive hurricane that hits, essentially knocks out all the power lines to the entire island, you know, damages the ports, and it is an island. So, you know, the way you're going to get relief supplies in there is through the ports. The ports are damaged. And, and again, just catastrophic type of damage to a, a country that had struggling infrastructure to begin with. Now, look, I understand. If I, a few weeks ago, I told the story. I was, I mean, I, I lost a transformer in my neighborhood, Blue. And so, you know, we were without power for six or seven hours. And it's just, it's terrible. You're sitting there in the dark and it's cold. And you're going, I can't wait for the power to go on. I can't imagine what it would be like without electricity for, you know, weeks. And the fact that you don't have drinking water because there's no electricity. So, I mean, I understand it's a crisis. At the same time, Puerto Rico is an island. I think a lot of the criticism was misplaced because there's only so much you can do in a given period of time. And when the roads are all blocked and the ports are destroyed and the whole electric infrastructure is taken down, it's going to take a while. You're not going to be able to just flip a switch and get power back. And so I think some of the criticism of FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has in fact been misplaced. I think they're doing the best they can. 
They're especially doing the best they can, given the fact that the hurricane in Puerto Rico was the third hurricane in just a couple weeks. Remember, first you had the massive hurricane that just turned into the rainstorm that dumped 50 inches of rain in Houston. Then, what, a week later or so, you have the massive hurricane that goes through Florida. Well, after the Puerto Rico situation, people stopped talking about, uh, again, Florida and uh, Houston, Texas. But, you know, there's a big story in the in New York Times yesterday, uh, still waiting for FEMA in Texas and Florida after the hurricane. Outside Rachel Roberts' house, a skeleton sits on a chair next to the driveway, a skeleton child on its lap, an empty cup in its hand, and a sign at its feet that reads, Waiting on FEMA. It is a Halloween reminder that for many, getting help to recover from Hurricane Harvey remains a long, uncertain journey. Ms. Roberts, 44, says it's very frustrating. Um, I think it's beautiful how much we've all come together, and that's wonderful, but there's a lot of mess-ups, too. And then they go on and they interview, this is the New York Times, they interview you know, people who had their homes or their apartments that were damaged, who are complaining you know, that the federal government hasn't done enough quickly enough. And it talks about how people who are calling the FEMA hotline are often on hold, you know, for two or three hours. And, and I mean, I, I read this story. And again, this is another one where I'm kind of screaming at this case. I'm screaming at the inanimate object that was the newspaper. My heart goes out to these people. It, it does. I can only imagine what they're going through. But at the same time, they're even in the face of natural disasters. There are limits to what the government can do and how quickly it is that the government can do things. And this idea that something bad bad happens and we immediately expect that the federal government is going to come in and and make it right in 24 or 48 hours, it's that idea of dependency, which to me is just silly and it's unrealistic. I mean, the truth of the matter is... There, there's limited resources when it comes to emergencies. And, you know, the government does what it possibly can. And, I, I look, I understand FEMA screwed up big time when it came to Hurricane Katrina and things like that. But, I mean, what FEMA really does, it's emergency management. You know, it's coming in, I, I think, short term and trying to get people, you know, access to water and trying to get people, you know, food and trying to make sure that people have a place that they can go and stay for a period of time. But but this idea of, gee, we, we've got to rebuild these areas or we've got to do with this and all that, there's limits on what the federal government can do and candidly if we expect the federal government to come in especially in this case in the situation where you've had three huge natural disasters in the space of a couple weeks and wave a magic wand and everything go back to normal you are in fact going to be disappointed and and I think what a lot of people need to do is start to recognize that they've got to take some responsibility for themselves, whether it's you know having the flood insurance or whether it's having the plan B or the plan C, if you are living in an area where it's prone to doing this. But you know you can sit around and you can gripe and you complain about FEMA not doing enough to help you out. But first and foremost, you've got to have that plan because the federal government, especially when resources are stretched like this, they're they're just not going to be able to get your life back to normalcy. But you know what? I don't think it's fair to expect them to do that. Uh, again, it's the hand, it's trying to help you out, but bottom line is you're going to have to take responsibility for that yourself. 
Just saying. It is 242. Okay, coming up next, Halloween is this weekend, or at least it's going to be this weekend for many of our communities. I've got a Halloween-related topic I want to talk about. We're going to have a little bit of fun. Stick around. It's 242. It's 246. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Gru, who's producing the program, where you are from, did you go out trick-or-treating on Halloween night, or did you go back to trick-or-treat like the weekend before? Typically the night of Halloween. Right, right. And that's now around here, that's not the way it works. Um, some communities still allow it to be, which would be next Tuesday night, I think, which is the 31st. But for many of the communities, the trick-or-treating hours, it's this weekend, and typically it's Sunday. You know, and normally they do it during the day because they're afraid that some bad stuff might happen to kids or, or whatever. So th- this weekend, in many of the communities, you're going to be trick-or-treating during the day. Check your local listings to see what the hours are. Some places still do it on, on Halloween night, which I think is the way that it should be done. Um, actually... And I, I always enjoyed it. I, I always enjoyed like seeing the different kids that would come up to the doors and things like that. I, I uh, this year, I'm not sure where I'm going to be. I, I don't, I don't think trick or treating is going to work out for me this year. But, but next year, it, I guarantee it's going to be back on on the agenda. But it, it, I, I always, I always wanted to go out, and I, I always decided if we were going to participate in trick or treating, I, I wanted it to be good. I wanted, we we bought good candy. I mean, I've I've been fortunate enough in my life to be in a position where if we're going to give away candy, we would buy good candy. And so we'd buy good candy. And so ours was a house that you would want to go to because also we we weren't skimpy with it. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, you're kind of share the wealth. Um, but, but I understand that this is always one of the battles. And I remember when I was going around, when I was trick-or-treating for Halloween, you'd go up to some doors and you'd get the really good candy, and then you'd go up to other ones and you'd say, hey, you know, I appreciate the effort, but why, you know, why bother? I mean, come on, come on, help me out with this. So I, I have been thinking, I'm, I'm off the next two days, so I was trying to think, I wanted to do at the very end of the program, I wanted to do one Halloween-related topic. So, Gru, when you were trick-or-treating, all right, what was the A plus? What was the, the, the top thing? You go up to the door, you're in your costume, you say trick or treat, and somebody puts some candy in. What was that candy bar where you go, that candy that said, wow, I've got it. This is my candy. I've hit the jackpot. What would that candy bar be? Full size Twix or Kit Kat. Okay. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to put away the latest ongoing battle between President Trump and Senator Jeff Flake. I want to talk about Halloween for a minute. Okay, what is the ultimate best candy to give and or to get for Halloween? Now, my guess is maybe you're not going trick-or-treating yourself anymore, but maybe you've got you know that kid that trick-or-treats. Kid comes back. You know, spreads all the candy out on the dining room table. And mom or dad, you know that maybe you're going to sneak one or two away. Okay, what is the best candy to give and to get? That candy that you go up to the door and you go, hey, I have hit it big time. The Wagners are giving away this particular candy. Gru is giving away this type of candy. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let's make some trick-or-treaters happy. What's the best candy to give and to get? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you mine in just a second. Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. Glad to have you back in the PM. Thank you. Um, Every morning when I wake up and it's not 5 in the morning, I'm glad to be back in the PM as well. Thank you. I really missed you in the (laughs) afternoon. Well, I'm back. I'm an afternoon person. (laughs) I'm back, Renee. Thanks. 
All right. Um, I like the full size, either the Kit Kats or the Reese's peanut butter cups. The Reese's peanut butter cups and the full size, not the little ones. It's no, it's the, the, the regular big, one. The big one. Ah, work. Thanks for call. That that actually, I'm not telling tales after out of school, but earlier on, Belinda Babinick, our news, who was doing the news, I said, Belinda, what was your favorite? She immediately said Reese's peanut butter cups as well. Christine on our text line. Full-size peanut butter cups. Love them. 414-799-1620. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. The best Halloween candy to give and or get? Uh, to give, I uh, give the full-size candy bars of different various kinds. <laughs> okay, one in particular? Uh, three Musketeers or Milky Way. Oh, the yeah, Milky Way bars. Or- or, or, yeah, I like the dark ones. You know. Yeah, that I haven't. You know, I haven't. God, I, I haven't seen. I haven't seen three Musketeers bars in in ages. I'm sure they still make them, but I, I remember the Milky Ways. Milky Way would be on my list as well. Actually, what got me thinking about this as well is there's a story in USA Today: the battle over candy corn. You know, some people just love candy corn, and other people hate candy corn. Now, as somebody who tries to watch their sugar. And if my doctor or my wife are listening, oh, no, no, no candy corn for me, I promise. But um, I used to love candy corn at the time. Let's talk to Greg in Green Bay. Greg, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Okay, the best Halloween candy to give or get? Big Tootsie Rolls. Big ones. Right, right. Not not just, not, not two or three of those little tiny ones. You're talking about the regular Tootsie Roll rolls. The big ones. You can get them two for a bucket, Woodman, sometimes. Um. Yes, that was. Uh, thanks for that. That th- those would work as well. Okay, let's talk to Mark on the east side. Mark, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, my favorite wasn't a candy bar. It was popcorn balls. Huh? No, I mean I know like the like the popcorn balls that would come like wrapped in the kind of the colored sort of yeah. cellophane and stuff. Huh? Yeah. Huh. And I used to be sneaky and go back about an hour later <laughs> trying to get another one. <laughs> I, I, thanks, see, I, it's funny. I think, see, my mom, my mom always worked for dentists. And so that was the kind of stuff that I just wasn't allowed to eat. That that really sticky stuff, I just, I would, which, which is why when I tell you what my favorite candy was, it was kind of like my way of rebelling. Okay, 414-799-1620. Dave in New Berlin. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, uh, mine wasn't a uh, candy bar either. It was a slowpoke sucker. Oh, I love those. They I used to love the slowpokes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Can't find them anymore. No, those were no. That, that right. That that would be another one. Um, all right, mine. Mine. Okay, Melissa Barkley. Melissa. Okay, when you go trick or treating, or you know, it's what's the best candy for you? Oh, You've hit gosh. the jackpot. You know, I love gum. Gum. I used to love gum. Okay. Yeah, but I, but I, of course, the chocolate and the peanut butter cups. Those are always the a peanut favorite. butter. Yeah, I was gonna say gum. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that weird? That's kind of weird. Bubble well, gum. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, Rue, that is weird, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you, you go to the door and somebody like gives you like a couple of those like cheap little like no. pieces of bubble gum. Yeah, yeah I love I'm those. Like, Oh, would you? <laughs> well, and my, our, our producer, Gru, who was at the wrestling match last night, says that he would swallow gum. No, gum you gum you don't eat. Huh. Hmm, yeah. um, all right. Yeah, see, okay, here, here, here's mine. Actually, Stephen Greenfield shares mine. Um, and this, again, it runs counter to what I just said about my mom working at a dentist. And so you had to not. I was all sorts of things that I just wasn't allowed to eat, but milk duds. I you know if I would get a box of milk duds I I just I was in heaven I have not had milk duds in years and years and years and it's it's one of the things like I said I've given up more vices than most people develop in their life that 
I gave up milk duds. I, I gave up milk duds somewhere along the way, and it's just always kicking me. Um, see, Patty and Delafield was going to say juice boxes. Hmm. Hmm. Well, see, when I was trick-or-treating, I don't remember them having juice boxes, so that wasn't an option. Oh, that's getting a thumbs down from my producer, Gru. Oh, so you go back. Somebody gives you juice boxes, and, and you're going to go away angry, huh? Well, I, I don't know. They just didn't have those when I was, was trick-or-treating. John and West Bend wanted to say Mr. Goodbar. Got a lot of other ones as well. I'm sticking with, oh, malted milk balls. I haven't had any of those in ages as well. Chocolate-covered crickets. Uh, here's the bottom line. If you're going to participate in, in trick-or-treating and you've got the wherewithal to do it, don't skimp. Be generous. Happy Halloween. John McCure is in next. We'll find out what he has on his mind. It's 254. This is Jeff Wagner.